Welcome to the Frater H. Reading Podcast. I am Frater H. In this podcast episode, when and wherever you are hearing it, I'll be reading to you some selections from the writings of the 20th century American artist Ad Reinhardt. There will be mispronunciations. This first selection is from Art Forum, March 1966, where it was published as Ad Reinhardt, Three Statements. The Black Square Painting Shows, 1963, 1964, 1965. There have been five shows of these timeless paintings in the past three years in the four major cities of the Western art world. Each show consisted of six or seven oil paintings, all monochrome, all black, all the same size, all five feet square, all painted the same, all dating since 1960. Number one. New York, Summer, 1963, Museum of Modern Art, Americans, 1963. Number 2. Paris, June, 1963, Gallery Iris Clert. Number 3. Los Angeles, November, 1963, Dewan Gallery. Number 4. London, June, 1964, Institute of Contemporary Art Gallery. Number 5, New York, March 1965, Betty Parsons Gallery. Two of the galleries and museum rooms had to be roped off because too many viewers were unable to resist touching the surface of the paintings and leaving their marks. In one gallery, platforms three by six were built in front of each painting in order to keep the onlooking public at a distance of at least three feet. Not many observers were able to stay in the rooms for any length of time, even when there were benches to sit on. These shows have been called the most extreme shows of painting ever shown, the most modern modern art, the most abstract abstract painting of our time. They are a logical development of personal art history and the historic traditions of Eastern and Western pure painting. Next is a paper read with some changes at the College Art Association meeting in New York, January 28, 1960 and read with more changes at the Artist Club on April 1, 1960. Reinhardt ironically dedicated the paper to the 18 irascible artists of 1950 who have successfully adjusted themselves to their non-environment. The Artist in Search of a Code of Ethics A general ungentlemanly agreement that artists should not talk prevents artists from twinging each other's consciences nowadays. A popular myth that the dirty work 
takes place only outside the artist's studio and not in his own mind, also helps ease the artist's burden and helps make his shame a little more shameless. But if the art world is a sink of corruption and crime that the poor struggling artist never made, who did? Artists may well, no wonder, why, as a decade and a half of expressionist debauchery and neo-surrealist delinquency draws to an end, words like conscience, ethics, morality, guilt, and corruption creep into artists' conversations with increasing frequency. What is the failure of art conscience at present? How is our time out of joint these days? Do we have a history of art morality? A moral art history? Is there a code of art ethics? What are the unconscionable crimes of artists? Is the art sink of corruption like any other ordinary sink? Can it be cordoned off with that's life or to air is human or even the air we breathe in is polluted? The everyday world has law, order, justice, fines, fit punishments, and a commissioner of air pollution. Everything altogether may be beyond good and evil, right and wrong, but art is not. Corruption in art cycles moves forward always in the name of life, fate, nature, humanity, animality, society, cosmic anxiety, reality, surreality, automatism, organicism, vitalism, existentialism, primitivism, irrationality, unconsciousness, spontaneity, visions, images, impulses, sensations, impressions, expression, business, romance, silent poetry, frozen music, etc. The reform, movement, and atonement occurs always as a return to the strong neoclassic virtues of detachment, honesty, rationality, clarity, coldness, emptiness, sterility, formalism, intellectuality, idealism, meaninglessness, and contentlessness. The cockles of the hearts of our plebeian curators and critics must have been warmed considerably in the middle forties, when after several waves of cold, dry, empty abstraction, some mythopoetic artists made public their divination that there is no such thing as a good painting about nothing, presaging a wave of hot, loaded, compromised art that was to flood the markets and wash away by the fifties all lines of distinction and to make a quiet, dignified profession into a rabble-rousing, profit-making where anything goes, anything can be art, everyone is an artist, and an artist is like everyone else. But everyone is not an artist. Some artists are better than others. Some artists have less clear consciences. Some artists get no chances to become corrupt. No artist is guiltless. Some artists are no good anyway. The moral argument in art always focuses on the artist 
as artist, not on the artist's artist, or the American people's artist, or on the artist as a human, or super, or subhuman being, or on the artist as anything else. Naturally, it's difficult for an artist to draw a line, but an open, indulgent, demoralized art situation presents too many temptations for art immorality and art rascality, too many opportunities for conscienceless artists. In the absence of a lawfully constituted art authority, then, these 13 rules of ethical conduct for professional fine artists is hereby respectfully submitted for everyone's approval. Number one, it is not right for an artist to make believe that he doesn't know what he's doing when everyone else knows what he's doing or to say that there is no wrong or that it's a matter of personal opinion or that time will tell what's not right. Artists who leave decisions of what is not right to someone else, especially to those who don't know, should be put to the rack and given the brush. Artists who write that art is voyaging into the night, one knows not where, on an unknown vessel, etc., should be put in irons and chained to galley oars. Number two. It is not right for artists to over-professionalize or over-amateurize their profession in the practice or teaching of it. An artist who thinks that a good social conscience will fix up a bad artistic conscience or who believes that what helps business by American art helps him or that art is education and communication for everybody should be taken into custody and booked for suspicion. 3. It is not right for artists to palm off their brushstroke marks for grass as a feeling for nature, or to keep alive the idiotic idea that they see some structure underlying the surface appearances of reality. Artists who think that art is not a hothouse product, but an outhouse byproduct, and who participate in new nature or nature in abstraction ideas should be sentenced to a term of hard labor in the fields. 4. It is not right for artists to act as if abstraction and representation do not make any difference. Artists who do not remember Clive Bell's sentence 47 years ago that every sacrifice made to representation is something stolen from art, and who paint abstract expressionist flames, girders, grasses, and sunsets should be apprehended for fencing hot merchandise. Artists who portray naked old ladies, young undressed boys, beauties, Marilyn Monroe, and beasts, new images of man, should be put into solitary. 
It is not right for artists to mix their art up with other arts, with the idea that the arts augment each other, or to claim that their paintings beautify architecture, or that their church and synagogue decorations are an integration of art and religion. Artists who consort with poets and musicians should be accused of contributing to the delinquency of minor arts. Number six, it is not right for artists to plug their paintings as a valuable report or record of world wars and peace, or to pass themselves off as visionaries of cosmic orders or seismographs of universal disorders. Artists who claimed they symbolize victory in the Pepsi-Cola 40s, or the Voice of America in the post-Pepsi-Cola period, or the Atomic Age, should be found guilty of having given aid and comfort to the enemy. 7. It is not right for an artist to make his bag of tricks a matter of life and death. Artists who send chills, however delicious, up curators' spines with warnings like, quote, Let no man undervalue the implications of this work, or its power for life, or for death, if it is misused, End quote. should be charged with arson and false alarm. 8. It is not right for artists to make themselves out as characters, bumpkins, or ordinary chaps, and to instill in young and old followers the faith that, if this schmo can do it, so can I. Artists who cook up short art careers for friends and supporters, and are in turn confronted with, if these guys can do it, I can do it better, and finally with, I'm the champ, they're the spoilers, should be disbarred for committing a public nuisance. 9. It is not right for artists to spend their daytimes on stage playing good-time Charlies and hard-to-get Gerties and their nighttimes behind the art scenes being Jack the Rippers. Artists who believe that it is just as easy to fall in love with a rich curator as it is with a poor critic, or that murder in art or artist slaughter will not out should have their entertainment licenses revoked and their premises closed. 10. It is not right for artists to encourage critics to think that sloppy impasto is Dionysian and that neat scumbling is Apollonian. Artists who peddle wiggly lines and colors as representing emotion should be run off the streets Bad artists, who after years of hard pulling finally make good paintings, and good artists who start pushing bad paintings for easy money, deserve the same punishment. 11. It is not right for artists to think that painting is like prostitution, that first you do it for love, then you do it for others, and finally you do it for money. An artist who makes his living from his art should be registered as a lumpen artist, issued an identity card, and dismissed with a suspended sentence. 12. It is not right 
for artists to feel it's all right to be irascible when young and without means, and docile when doddering and well-heeled. Artists stricken with fallout or sellout should be institutionalized, pensioned, and enabled to lead comfortable hand-out-to-mealy-mouth existences for the rest of their natural lives. 13. It is not right for an artist who knows what's not right, and especially who is without sin, not to tell artists who don't know what's not right what not to do, and how not to cast the first stone. The next selection is from some unpublished, undated notes. An artist, a fine artist, or free artist, an artist as artist, has always nothing to say, and he must say this over and over again, especially in his work. What else is there to say, in work or words? What in hell, on earth, or in heaven is an artist up to when he says he has something to say? All artists as artists say the same thing. The post-historic artist is the timeless artist as artist. The artist as artist is the post-historic artist. The post-historic artist is the artist aware of himself as artist, aware of art as art, aware of everything that is not art in art, inside or outside art. The only way to say what an artist as artist is, is to say what an artist as artist is not. A fine artist, by definition, is not a commercial or industrial or fashion, or applied, or useful artist. A fine, free, or liberal, or abstract artist is by definition not a servile, or professional, or meaningful artist. A fine artist has no use for use, no meaning for meaning, no need for any need. A fine artist has nothing to use, has no need for any meaning, and would not, would not use himself or his work for anything. A fine artist, by definition, does not use or need any ideas or images, does not use or need any help, cannot use or help anyone or anything. Only a bad artist thinks he has a good idea. A good artist does not need anything. Art as Art From Art International, December 1962 The one thing to say about art is that it is one thing. Art is art as art, and everything else is everything else. Art as art is nothing but art. Art is not what is not art. The one object of 50 years of abstract art is to present art as art and as nothing else. 
to make it into the one thing it is only, separating and defining it more and more, making it purer and emptier, more absolute and more exclusive, non-objective, non-representational, non-figurative, non-imagist, non-expressionist, non-subjective. The only and one way to say what abstract art, or art as art, is, is to say what it is not. The one subject of a hundred years of modern art is that awareness of art of itself, of art preoccupied with its own processes and means, with its own identity and distinction, art concerned with its own unique statement, art conscious of its own evolution and history and destiny towards its own freedom, its own dignity, its own essence, its own reason, its own morality, and its own conscience. Art needs no justification with realism or naturalism, regionalism or nationalism, individualism or socialism or mysticism, or with any other ideas. The one content of three centuries of European or Asiatic art and the one matter of three millennia of Eastern or Western art is the same one significance that runs through all the timeless art of the world. Without an art-as-art continuity, and art-for-art's-sake conviction, and unchanging art spirit and abstract point of view, art would be inaccessible, and the one thing completely secret. The one idea of art as fine, high, noble, liberal, ideal, of the 17th century is to separate fine and intellectual art from manual art and craft. The one intention of the word aesthetics of the 18th century is to isolate the art experience from other things. The one declaration of all the main movements of art of the 19th century is of the independence of art. The one question, the one principle, the one crisis in art of the 20th century centers in the uncompromising purity of art and in the consciousness that art comes from art only, not from anything else. The one meaning in art as art, past or present, is art meaning. When an art object is separated from its original time and place and use and is moved into the art museum, it gets emptied and purified of all its meanings except one. A religious object that becomes a work of art in an art museum loses all of its religious meanings. No one in his right mind goes to an art museum to worship anything but art or to learn about anything else. The one place for art as art is the Museum of Fine Art. The reason for the Museum of Fine Art is the preservation of ancient and modern art that cannot be made again and that does not have to be done again.
a museum of fine art should exclude everything but fine art and be separate from museums of ethnology, geology, archaeology, history, decorative arts, industrial arts, military arts, and museums of other things. A museum is a treasure house and tomb, not a counting house or amusement center. A museum that becomes an art curator's personal monument or an art collector sanctifying establishment, or an art history manufacturing plant, or an artist's market block, is a disgrace. Any disturbance of a true museum's soundlessness, timelessness, airlessness, and lifelessness is a disrespect. The one purpose of the Art Academy University is the education and correction of the artist as artist, not the enlightenment of the public or the popularization of art. The art college should be a cloister, ivy hall, ivory tower community of artists, an artist union and congress and club, not a success school or service station, or rest home, or house of artists' ill fame. The notion that art, or an art museum, or art university, enriches life, or fosters a love of life, or promotes understanding and love among men, is as mindless as anything in art can be. Anyone who speaks of using art to further any local, municipal, national, or international relations is out of his mind. The one thing to say about art and life is that art is art and life is life, that art is not life and that life is not art. A slice of life art is no better or worse than a slice of art life. Fine art is not a means of making a living or a way of living a life, and an artist who dedicates his life to his art or his art to his life burdens his art with his life and his life with his art. Art that is a matter of life and death is neither fine nor free. The one assault on fine art is the ceaseless attempt to subserve it as a means to some other end or value. The one fight in art is not between art and non-art, but between true and false art, between pure art and action assemblage art, between abstract and surrealist expressionist anti-art, between free art and servile art. Abstract art has its own integrity not someone else's integration with something else. Any combining, mixing, adding, diluting, exploiting, vulgarizing, or popularizing abstract art deprives art of its essence and depraves the artist's art and depraves the artist's artistic consciousness. Art is free, but it is not a free-for-all. The one struggle in art is the struggle of artists against artists, of artist against artist, 
of the artist as artist within and against the artist as man, animal, or vegetable. Artists who claim their artwork comes from nature, life, reality, earth, or heaven as mirrors of the soul or reflections of conditions or instruments of the universe who cook up new images of man, figures, and nature in abstraction, pictures, are subjectively and objectively rascals or rustics. The art of figuring or picturing is not a fine art. An artist who is lobbying as a creature of circumstances or log-rolling as a victim of fate is not a fine master artist. No one ever forces an artist to be pure. The one art that is abstract and pure enough to have the one problem and possibility in our time and timelessness of the one single grand original problem is pure abstract painting. Abstract painting is not just another school or movement or style, but the first truly unmannered and untrammeled and unentangled, styleless, universal painting. No other art or painting is detached or empty or immaterial enough. The one history of painting progresses from the painting of a variety of ideas with a variety of subjects and objects to one idea with a variety of subjects and objects to one subject with a variety of objects to one, to one object with a variety of subjects then to one subject then to one object with one subject to one object with no subject and to one subject with no object, then to the idea of no object and no subject and no variety at all. There is nothing less significant in art, nothing more exhausting and immediately exhausted than endless variety. The one evolution of art unfolds in one straight logical line of negative actions and reactions, in one predestined, eternally re recurrent, eternally recurrent stylistic cycle, in the same all-over pattern in all times and places, taking different times in different places, always beginning with an early, archaic schematization, achieving a climax with a classic formulation and decaying with the late, endless variety of illusionisms and expressionisms. When late stages wash away all lines of demarcation, framework, and fabric with anything can be art, anyone can be an artist, that's life. Why fight it? Anything goes. And it makes no difference whether art is abstract or representational. The artist's world is a mannerist and primitivist art trade and suicide vaudeville, venal, genial, contemptible, trifling. The one way an art comes from art working, and the more an artist works, 
the more there is to do. Artists come from artists. Art forms come from art forms. Painting comes from painting. The one direction in fine or abstract art today is in the painting of the same one form over and over again. The one intensity and the one perfection come only from long and lonely routine preparation and attention and repetition. The one originality exists only where all artists work in the same tradition and master the same convention. The one freedom is realized only through the strictest art discipline and through the most similar studio ritual. Only a standardized, prescribed, and proscribed form can be imageless, only a stereotyped image can be formless, only a formularized art can be formulaless, only a formularized art can be formulaless. A painter who does not know what or how to or where a painter who does not know how <clears throat> only a standardized prescribed and proscribed form can be imageless only a stereotyped image can be formless only a formularized art can be formulaless a painter who does not know what or how or where to paint is not a fine artist. The one work for a fine artist, the one painting, is the painting of the one size canvas. The single scheme, one formal device, one color, monochrome, one linear division in each direction, one symmetry, one texture, one freehand brushing, one rhythm, one working everything into one dissolution and one indivisibility, each painting into one overall uniformity and non-irregularity. No lines or imaginings, no shapes or composings or representings, no visions or sensations or impulses, no symbols or signs or impostos, no decoratings or colorings or picturings, no pleasures or pains, no accidents or ready-mades, no things, no ideas, no relations, no attributes, no qualities, nothing that is not of the essence, everything into irreducibility, unreproducibility, imperceptibility, Nothing usable, manipulatable, saleable, dealable, collectible, graspable. No art as a commodity or a jobbery. Art is not the spiritual side of business. The one standard in art is oneness and fineness, rightness and purity abstractness, and evanescence. The one thing to say about art is its breathlessness, lifelessness, lifelessness, deathlessness, contentlessness, formlessness, spacelessness, and timelessness. This is always the end of art.
routine extremism from some unpublished, undated notes. One paints when there is nothing else to do. After everything else is done, has been taken care of, one can take up the brush. After all the human, social, physical needs, pressures have been accounted for, only then can one be free to work. There is nothing worse than a fine artist who has something to do, a job or a commission, or thinks he has a job to do. Sculpture is always a questionable fine art. This is why. After the mail has been read and answered, bills paid, the place, studio cleaned and swept, children packed off to school or camp, wives released for shopping, after one has eaten, gone to the john, has taken a morning, noon, or afternoon nap, free from any anxiety, all pains, pleasures, all distractions, obstacles, hindrances, Expressionism and surrealism is always fake. Art as something else is always fake. Pension, income, when finally one has absolutely no reason not to work, is the exact ideal time to begin. Finished. One lives after one is through painting what one is painting. After one one lives after there is no more painting to be done. One has been painted out after the paintings have been painted out. Thank you for listening to this recording. I can't imagine that more than a few people made it this far, and there are probably L.A. artists that I know personally. Thanks. Until the next episode, this is Frauder H. saying, Hey.